Hello everyone. Today's episode is a very unique one and it will provide lots of value to many young dentists who are interested in oral surgery. Today's podcast focuses on Dr. Nikki Jamal and his journey to being a very successful and established dentist with a focus on third molar exodontia. Nikki has kindly provided the listeners of this podcast with a $200 discount code to his online mentorship course on third molar exodontia. You can find the course at www.thirdmolarsonline.com and the discount code is newbie200. You can access the website and the discount code in the podcast description. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mastering Dentistry series on the Newbie Dentist Podcast. This podcast will focus on providing value to dentists who are striving to learn, evolve, and master their trade. Your hosts are Dr. Ziad Hamad and Dr. Ricky Hamami. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Mastering Dentistry series with the Newbie Dentist. I'm your host today, Dr. Ziad Hamad, and today we have a very unique, special episode for you with the one and only Dr. Neki Jamal. So Ricky and myself just attended a course by Dentistry Academy in London, Ontario for wisdom teeth surgery, and we were blown away by Neki's experience and overall attitude to life. And as with all of our podcasts, we knew that we need to have Neki on this platform to share his story, experience, and future plans with our audience to benefit. Joining us today is also Dr. Hisham Shurgan, who's a great friend, dentist, and entrepreneur. He's one of the founders of Dentistry Academy, a rising CE academy out of London, Ontario here. I've interviewed Dr. Shurgan a few months ago where he shared his story, and I encourage you to listen to his journey as well. But now on to Dr. Neki. Neki was raised in Calgary where he attended the University of Calgary and received his bachelor's in biological sciences and economics. Neki then moved to Saskatoon where he received his doctorate of dental medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. He's a full-time clinician practicing dentistry in Lloydminster, Alberta. After completing his BICE curriculum in 2013, he narrowed his scope of practice to sedation and surgical procedures, like implants, wisdom teeth extractions, and grafting. He's passionate about PRF in all aspects of oral surgery, and he's excited to helping his colleagues incorporate that into their practice. Nick is also recently part of the Dentistry Academy and has a few courses planned for the future as well. Neki also launched his very own online mentorship website where he shares his secrets to performing wisdom tooth exodontia safely and effectively. What I really love about Neki is that he loves to give back. Neki's involved with many missions and has been helping people in many areas like Ecuador, Guatemala, Nicaragua, and Peru, providing free dental services. We are super excited to hear about Neki's story today. So Neki and Hisham, welcome to the show. Man, thank you so much for having us. This is awesome. <laughs> thank you, Z, for having us. It's a pleasure to be here today. I uh, love you guys. I'm glad to have you, and I'm super pumped for you to guys share your experience with uh, with our listeners. So, Neki, let's hear from you. Tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words, your upbringing, and your just story to dentistry. Uh, man, it's I don't even know where to begin. I 
honestly, I, I just, I feel like, you know, someone's been watching over me my entire life and, and it got me to where I am today. And, and like I, I, my, my dad and I, we grew up, well, I grew up in Calgary. My dad, uh, we were only the only family that we had, and, and we didn't grow up with very much at all. Um, but he always, you know, focused on education. And I thought I was, I, I was too tall and too big to be a dentist. And I, I loved how, you know, I was given a straight smile and that was the best thing my dad ever did for me. And, uh, I went, I remember going to my dentist and when I was a kid and, and saying, well, like, you know, in high school, like, I, I want to become a dentist, but I can't because my hands are too big. Cause like I'm six foot five and he put up his hands next to mine. And it was like, no joke, like an extra, like five inches on my hands. Like if he can get his hands in people's mouths, so can I. So, uh, that, that like sealed my fate. I was in a, in the dental school at, at U of S there's no dental school in Calgary. And, uh, you know, the, the rest is, the rest is history. And I just, I knew that I always wanted to give back, um, because I felt so blessed in, you know, having been able to be, you know, get an education and, and the least I can do is share my gifts and talents with the world. And, uh, that's, that's honestly, if you want to talk about a nutshell, that that's it right there. <laughs> I love it, man. That's, it's uh, very down to earth, very real, very inspirational. I love it. So how would you say your experience was in dental school? Did you know you always wanted to focus on oral surgery after graduation once you got into dental school? Um, well, first of all, let's be real. Okay. The, the, in third year, we're allowed to work between uh, third and fourth year as a dentist underneath the supervision of another dentist in Saskatchewan. And the very first tooth I've, I took out, I put it right in the sinus. <laughs> and so <laughs> it, it's, you know, I, I tell that story and it kind of, you know, breaks the ice a little bit, but that that's my experience. And, and I'm, you know, I'm glad it happened because it, it showed me that every single action we take can have an impact on people and has ramifications and there's complications to be managed. And, and we always have to do whatever we can to ensure, you know, um, not only we're doing the best job we can, but uh, like patient safety and, and, complication management. And so it, it was a really interesting, you know, introduction to the career, but that's, that's how it happened. And like, I don't think there's a, a day that goes by where I don't remember that. Right. So I love it. I like, I don't think it get better than that. I think the best way to learn is learning from mistakes. So, uh, absolutely. so yeah, so no, that's, that's awesome, man. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, at the time it wasn't awesome, but <laughs> It always isn't at the time, eh? <laughs> yeah, right. But you know, it's a good learning lesson. Good learning lesson. Now, tell us a little bit more about your experience in the first few years after you graduated as a generalist, right? What was your experience as an associate and how did it shape your future clinical choices? Um, so I was an associate for about six months and then uh, purchased our practice uh, here in, in Lloydminster. And it was interesting because I didn't know what was going on. And all I knew is that, you know, everyone tells you, you know, you're an associate and then you want to become an owner, but you don't really know what that means and what that entails and the stress involved with that. Like dentistry is, is, you know, a very stressful profession. Um, and especially early, early on, you almost feel like, you know, you caught in this rat race of, you know, what you should be learning, what is important, how to take care of your patients 
how to, you know, what is an income statement? What is a balance sheet? Like, these are things that no one teaches you and you're almost thrown into. And the fact that, you know, you start paying the bills and you're like, this, this stuff costs how much, right? And like, it, it's, you don't get it. And so it was a, a rude awakening right away. And uh, I'm, I just got thrown into it and it was awesome. I love it. So you bought the same practice that you were associating in? Yeah. Yeah. I've only, I've only worked in one uh, dental office, you know, as a dentist and uh, we grew our practice from, you know, we started off with nine chairs and then to 13 um, to 15 to 19, 19 ops now, and we're expanding yeah. again. So it's, it's been interesting. I love it. So yeah. what about your clinical experience? Like the first few years were you like surgery focused from day one or talk to us a little bit more about how your first few kind of like years, I mean, I guess six months to the first few years after you purchased that office, um, yeah. how was it? It was, it was difficult because, you know, you only learn so much in dental school and they almost teach you enough to be dangerous because there's so many aspects that aren't touched upon. And, you know, it's difficult for the dental school to, you know, take, take these people that know nothing about a profession, teach them as much as you can in four years. But then when you get out, nothing is like that because technology is changing. Um, the, the medications change, the procedures that we do are different than you learn in dental school and you're almost like thrown right into it. And so I was very overwhelmed and, um, I, I, I can't lie and say I didn't struggle because like, you don't know where to go. Like, do you learn about CEREC? Do you learn about implants? Do you learn about extractions? And you have to, as a general dentist, that's why I always say that's, that's the, the hardest job out of all of dentistry because you have to know a bit of everything. And the more like focused you get on one thing, the less, you know, about something else that, yeah. that you're going to need to know about. Right. So it's, it was, it was tough, man, for yeah, sure. That That is so true. That is so true. Especially like being, being out on a boat for about a year and a half now, it's uh it is a struggle because like you, like you got to dive deep into one discipline and at the same time, like, you know, you got to focus on everything else. Uh, just keep it running full efficiency. So no, totally. I love that. I love in, that. Uh, in 2009, like when, like my first year of, of school or first year out, um, I actually went to Guatemala and okay. uh, in February of 2009. And to answer your question, I know I get long winded sometimes, but that's, that's how I knew I wanted to get into more surgery and more, right. um, you know, I, I feel like I had such an impact on taking pain away on so many different people. And that kind of clicked something in my head and, and said, man, I want to be the guy that I can help so many people take their pain away. And it's, I know it sounds so simple to say, but think about what we do on a daily basis. A lot of dentistry, uh, especially for me, I see so many patients that are so scared to come to the dentist. I haven't been to the dentist in 15, 20 years and I sedate them and I take their pain away. And so, you know, 12 years later, nothing has changed for me. I still have that ability to take pain away. And, and I feel so proud that I have the ability to do that. So that's, that's why I love surgery. And that's, that's how I got into it. All right. So I know Hisham that you love surgery as well. You also have quite an extensive experience in exodontia and implants. So what drew you into this area of dentistry as well? Oh man, that's a, that's a really good question because um, I'm, I'm, I love general dentistry as a whole. 
um, but I do gravitate towards um, implants and surgery. I'd probably say because of the adrenaline rush that comes with it. I think um, anybody that does surgeries knows that, you know, no surgery is the same. You know, some days you show up, you're the dog. Some days you're the hydrant, right? And uh, I remember one of my uh, one of my instructors who was a neural surgeon at the time, uh, he said to me that <clears throat> the day that you show up uh, thinking that you know everything to a surgery is the day that you should call in sick, right? Because surgery is humbling in so many different ways. And and I mean, general dentistry itself is a routine-based practice, right? You do your, your, your restorations, you do your root canals, and all of these things, for the most part, turn into just a routine, except for a couple of standouts, right? Like dental implants, just because a lot of times you're working around uh, specific anatomy and vital structures, same thing with oral surgery as well. So you're almost on edge the whole time, right? So every time I go into a surgery, it's literally like I'm, go, I'm about to go on a roller coaster, right? And no matter how many that I've done over the last 10 years, it still feels the exact same. You know, sometimes you're, you know, you stay up a couple of hours a little later at night because you got a pretty challenging case and you're just, re, you know, fine tuning your skill set and your, your, uh, your, your strategic uh, plan, uh, plan for approach. Um, and you know what, sometimes they pop out right away. Sometimes they give you a hard time. So that's why I've always thought that, you know, surgery and implantology, oral surgery, exodontia and implantology have always been such, such a humbling, uh, humbling thing to do. I think even Neki, when we, when we were doing the hands-on oral surgery uh, training course in London, there were so many cases that literally would bring you back to the ground floor, you know, and we were with some of the best surgeons, probably in Canada that were with us in the same building. And every one of them, one way or another, was humbled that weekend. And that's what I love about it. It really just kind of grounds you in so many different ways. So now the, the, the real question that we should ask here is, what do you enjoy the most about, uh, about surgery, Snacky? And uh, I guess kind of what makes you tick about uh, exodontia? Um, I honestly, I, I fell right in love with it. I couldn't agree more. Like, if you think you know it all, call in sick because something is going to humble you. Uh, I I love the ability and and for me to you know limit my scope of my practice to more sedation and more a lot of exodontia to to have the ability to take on the most hated procedure in dentistry, which is you know wisdom teeth third molars, and you get people just petrified and terrified to you know think about getting their third molars removed and to take that procedure head on and make it into an incredible dental experience for that patient, that that's what keeps me coming back to work the next day. And when a patient calls me or they text me, even they'll text me at 10 o'clock at night and they'll be like, yo, Neki, what you did yesterday, like I was scared of dentists forever. And yet you had the ability to, you know, make that procedure perfect. And it was awesome. And so nothing gives me, you know, a greater satisfaction in my profession to, to, you know, hear, hear that from patients is we can change the third molar experience to something that we want it to be. Right. And so. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and to, to add more to that too, Neki, the, the feeling of actually getting that tooth. Oh. I'd probably say that there's nothing <laughs> in like, this is the dental geeks in us, right? Nothing is more satisfying than having that tooth come out. It's like, literally you just want a million dollars, you know, like your assistant is looking like that and she's giving you the thumbs up. She's got a big <laughs> smile under that mask. You know, the patient, if they're not sedated, they're super happy, a big yeah. sigh of relief. And with you, you're just, you just want to take it and just, you know, just slam that tooth right on the ground and say, you know what, that's a touchdown right there. Right. I made it. Right. Yeah. 
And that's that's maybe that's what it is. That's the it's the adrenaline rush and just you know trying to get that get that tooth out and that feeling that experience that you're gonna get uh, you know with that opportunity. Yeah, and like uh, Ziad, how many times during my course did I say that? It's the most satisfying <laughs> thing, right? For me, it's it's using a purchase point and popping the tooth right up. That is the satisfying feeling. The you know what part. I mean? That's the best part, man. <laughs> No, honestly, I love it. it. It's, 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 yeah, it's a cool experience without a doubt. I'd probably say one of the most satisfying ones in dentistry in any procedure, hands down, is, is yeah, that one. I love it. It's um, like instant gratification too, right? Like when you do ortho, you look at before and after, that's three years. You know what I mean? When you take out that tooth, that's five minutes, right? And and you give yourself an attaboy every time, right? So <laughs> you could. And one of the things that we, yeah, one of the things that we definitely have to talk about as well is just, you know, the, the amount of time that you took and the clinical experience and the hours that you had to put towards learning your skill set to Neki, right? I mean, we always, you know, we talk about it jokingly and we always oh, just like a like wisdom tooth is a wisdom tooth kind of thing. But, you know, we, you know, we almost obsess over exodontia, right? It's, um, I mean, Z, I've, I've seen you recently do that too, where, you know, you're watching videos, you're drawing pictures, you're, 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 you're planning, you're, you're strategizing your, your plan of action or your approach to taking a tooth out. Um, but I think the, the, one of the important things that I want to talk to you about, Neki, here is um, how important is it to make sure that before you go in to take on these opportunities or to take out these, these teeth, whether they're just uh, complicated extractions or wisdom teeth, um, you know, the training and the, the experience that you should be building up towards, towards that experience? Absolutely. I think uh, once you've taken out enough teeth or enough teeth or third molars, case selection becomes key and knowing what to take on and, and what to, to pass on to someone with more, you know, experience than you, or, uh, you know, the ability to manage that complication that is oncoming, um, that's, that's, you know, priceless. And unfortunately that only comes with time and with experience. And, and I think all three of us have been in that position where early in our careers, we take on, you know, cases that we probably shouldn't have, uh, because we don't see the oncoming comp- complication coming. And so, uh, you know, a lot of experience and time and, you know, talking with other colleagues, uh, going to courses, talking to, you know, people with more experience than you is priceless. And, uh, that's, that's where I feel like, um, especially hanging out with all the dentists at dentistry Academy, you guys have something unique there because everyone goes in no ego and talks about cases and talks about, you know, the struggles that they've had or where they've gotten into trouble. And, and to me, that is worth its weight in gold. And I'm sure you agree with that. Eh? Absolutely. Without a doubt. I think it's amazing to see how, I, I mean, dentists for the most part, we all worked kind of by ourselves and we figured it out on our own. Yeah. And the reality is you put, you know, some of the most experienced um, clinicians or surgeons um, in the same room, and they're going to give you 10 different answers as to how, how to crack the, how to crack the code or solve the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the things just to add to what you're saying too, Nikki, is having that parachute. And that's what I like to call it, right? That mentor that's working next to you or just down the road from you or the, the oral surgeon that's close by. I think it's very, very important. When I first started out, um, I, I did an AGD resident, a residency, and I thought that I was very confident and competent with my surgeries. Um, but I still had a mentor. And I remember once taking on a case that I shouldn't have right when I, when I started practicing. 
And I picked up the phone and I called my, my mentor at the time. And he walked me through the case, but it was over a weekend. He couldn't drive in to, to help me out. And I remember just by him walking me through the case as to, you know, where I should be looking and what I should be doing was very useful and very helpful in getting me through and allowing me to complete um, that procedure, right? So making sure that you just talk about it, you have friends, mentors, um, experienced clinicians close by that you can reach out to, that's going to be worth its weight in gold, right? And that's something that, as, as Nikki mentioned, we do experience with uh, the Dentistry Academy, right? You have, you know, 20 different faculty members that are going to give you 20 different looks. And that's just going to be, um, it's going to add a lot more to your toolbox when you run into or encounter certain type of obstacles or complications. I love it. And that's something that I, I kind of live by as well, because more or less, um, ever since I started working, I've been working alone, but I actually never felt isolated because I just had that, you know, just utilizing your resources pretty much. So even if I think a lot of the listeners, you might not have that mentor right there with you, um, I think just having access to or knowing someone, uh, either through telephone, through Zoom, um, like heck, I sometimes ask people over Instagram as well. And people are very generous with their knowledge. And it might not be that over the shoulder mentorship. But you can also learn a lot just by asking different people, um, just getting mentorships like from wherever you can pretty much. So bringing it back to you, Neki. So did you have that mentorship when you were just starting out in those, uh, as an associate, I'd say, and then transitioning into your own uh, uh, office? Did you have mentorship as well? You know, I, I really want to answer this question a different way, but I didn't. I've, I've, ha- I've had cheerleaders along the way, but I've actually lacked that that mentor. And I've had, you know, other colleagues that, you know, I can ask questions to, but I didn't have that mentor. And I remember um, at, at one point I was actually told the phrase, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. And when I heard that, I, I honestly, I, I told myself, I want to be that person that no one will ever say that. To. Do you know what I mean? Like I wanted to help my fellow colleagues. So I like, that was the worst thing anyone ever told me as far as, you know, trying to grow in this profession is if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. And so I told myself that day, I'm going to help as many people as I can. So they don't have to hear that from, from someone else. So, um, I, yeah, I, I didn't really have that mentor and I wish I did. And so I, I learned the hard way a lot of, a lot of the times, but, uh, I, I yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Nikki, this this brings a great, uh, I guess this will be a great segue to what you currently offer when it comes to the virtual mentorship. So um, for those who don't know, Nikki has an incredible online platform. It's called Third Molars Online. Um, And um, it does really offer not only some great video footage of every type of exodontia that you can you can imagine but it also offers an opportunity for young dentists or dentists that are trying to jump into the third more third molar exodontia world an opportunity where they can collaborate with neki and have quite a bit of mentorship from neki as well can you talk to us a little bit about that uh, you know during i guess this last year that has become my purpose and my purpose has always been you know service over self and i couldn't you know 
you know, explain it another way because through this mentorship, I've been able to take, you know, dentists that don't have any third molar experience. And then throughout the day, I get texts every single day of pictures of four of four third molars slammed on the desk. And to me, that makes me so proud and so happy that I can have that impact on, on other colleagues in my profession. And, and we go over, um, like through zoom for people across the country, um, go over cases and what to watch out for. And these are the complications that you are going to see. And this is how you're going to take care of it. And to see them grow as, as clinicians, man, nothing makes me more proud. So it's, it's been incredible for me and uh, I've had a ton of fun doing it. I agree with you. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more <laughs> with you with the fact of just how rewarding that could be. Um, and one of the other things too, that you do so well, Neki, is just how you break it down and how you simplified it. Um, now, one of the things I, that, that made me so much better. So I sat in on uh, Neki's course a couple of weeks ago in London, and you guys wouldn't imagine how much better it actually made me as a clinician as well, right? Because the, the looks that you give and the, the way that you break it down, you know, it simplifies it to, to a high, high level, to an extreme, actually. And as soon as you just put those together, it automatically makes you better by just watching those videos or just hearing how you break that down. So definitely something that I would encourage any type of, you know, young aspiring dentist to consider when they're starting. Absolutely. Out. And honestly, like I, like I took both courses and I recently uh, got into the online course as well. Uh, I guess online mentorship that Dr. Necky's uh, uh, created and it's phenomenal. So I'm going to ask him a little bit more about it later in the podcast, but um, I'd recommend everybody to look into it. All the links are going to be at the end of the description as well of the podcast. But going back to all that CE, right? We're talking about all the CE that, that I took right now. What about all the CE that you had to do to reach that level, right? What did you go through to reach the person that you are now to be that skilled in oral surgery? Um, you know, you've, you've all heard of the 10,000 hour rule. Well, let's, let's do 10,000 wisdom teeth. And, um, it's, it's, it's been humbling. Like I've taken courses throughout the world. I've traveled throughout the world to provide dentistry in areas that don't have access to dentists. And, um, I, I just found that there weren't, there, there were lots of courses out there, but there weren't the courses that I was looking for that had that, you know, continual mentorship. And so, um, that's where, I've really fallen in love with this whole dentistry academy uh, ability to, you know, gather a community because you can go and take a course and then it's Monday morning and you get into trouble and then you don't know what to do. And so um, I, I, I just love having that mentorship aspect and I love having that mentorship aspect with, you know, the students of my course and, and with the dentistry Academy. So uh, I think there's a lot of good CE out there, but uh, continual mentorship is something that you gotta be out for. Right. So, so you say for yourself, it was mainly kind of just like clinical experience, right? So not as much of the CE as much as just like, you know, learning from your mistakes and just, you know, everyday improving kind of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, it's, it's humbling because you don't have that person in your corner to help you out. And, uh, it's, it. it's, it can be a long road. I love it. Yeah. All right. So Neki, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about how you established yourself as a successful referral based practice and how challenging was it, um, you know, on the back end to switch from, um, a general 
I guess, a general dentist mindset to someone who focuses, I would say, semi-exclusively on exodontia? Um, it was, it's difficult because uh, you need to get, like, you want to get your own colleagues to refer to you and what sets you apart from, you know, another dentist. And so I, I took that, um, like at the time, not very many people were doing PRF, like, you know, 10 years ago. And um, I kind of took that and ran with it. And so I went to all the dentist offices around me and said, you know, I can make patients heal faster. And I have the ability to use their own healing power for them. And this is why you won't see any of my patients with a dry socket. You'll see much faster healing and you'll see less complications. And really I send them right back to you and they have a great experience because I build my entire practice around that third molar experience that I want to give. And so that's how I, you know, approach my colleagues. Um, they know that their the patient is going to get sent right back to them, which has been challenging because I get almost daily, I'll be asked the question, Hey, are you accepting new patients? And, you know, of course our office is accepting new patients, but I always say no. And, and, you know, say, you got to go back and see your regular dentist because they're better than I am and I can take out the tooth, but they can still do an amazing, you know, crown for it or, or whatever it, it may be, but it's, it was challenging at times, but that's how I kind of approached it. I love it. I love it. Now, Neki, you brought a little bit of information about your, you know, background, what, you know, what drew into oral surgery and, you know, all the backend stuff. Now I want to get a little bit clinical. All right. Okay. Um, and hopefully we can share a few clinical pearls with our audience. So let's start it off, right? What are some of the principles that all young dentists should have in their mind while getting into oral surgery or while doing oral surgery? And uh, what are the, you know, important things that are often overlooked when assessing case difficulty? I think as young dentists, the, the best thing you can do is learn to manage complications because that's, what's going to set you apart. Um, I really feel like I can teach a lot of people how to take out teeth. And, and once you know where to section, once you know your armamentarium, your flap design, you can take out teeth, but managing the complications becomes a tricky part. So learning about the complications, learning what to do when, um, that's, that's, I think the best advice I could give you because, uh, if it has, if something hasn't happened to you yet, you just haven't done enough of that procedure. And so, um, you're, you're going to come across a lot of situations that, you know, you're not going to know what to do, but to learn what to do and to gather that info is priceless. I think. I love it. All right. All right. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about your flaps. All right. <laughs> I know, I know we, we talked a lot about this before, but you know, what's your go-to flap design if you have any, and if you have any tips for that as well for a clean flap reflection. Uh, sure. Uh, well, let's start with clean flap reflection before I tell you my flap design. Um, I think when I first started out and I see a lot of new dentists start out, uh, not getting underneath that periosteum, I think is, you know, the, the first thing. Once you can cleanly get underneath that periosteum, everything is a whole new game. And raising a, a a full thickness flap, not a partial thickness flap when taking out teeth is, is a big deal. And my trick for that is using the right periosteal elevator. And so I would recommend when you are reflecting a flap anywhere in the mouth, I know we all have our favorites, but I would recommend a, a P24G 
um, like Hugh Freedy makes a really good one. Carl Schumacher makes a really good one. Um, instead of the traditional molt nine that we tend to see with, with a lot of third molars or we learn in school, it's just too big. You got to get underneath that, underneath your papillas and, and, you know, get, get right underneath that periosteum and having that thin bladed instrument really helps me. And my go-to flap design, I love uh, an envelope style flap uh, to include the papilla between the first and the second molar. And then I make like a, a 45 degree incision off the distal buckle of that second molar with a slight lateral divergence at the end. You know, the traditional hockey stick incision um, has worked incredibly well for me. And I find my patients don't swell uh, as much as if you did, you know, a vertical incision. Um, but there's nothing wrong with those incisions. It's just what you're comfortable with. And I know a lot of dentists that do those vertical incisions and they do it quite well, but in my hands, I, I like my envelopes. Uh, and I know we talked a lot about this, like the different flap designs and, you know, when to use which design and where, but I think like at the end of the day, something that I went through and a lot of considerations went into it was like, how big do you make the flap? Right. I hear a lot from oral surgeons. It's like, you know, you don't want to make a massive flap at the end of the day, but at the same time you see, you see some of the oral surgeons with like, you know, tiny flaps, but that's just because they're that much experienced. Uh, so at the end of the day, I think what I've, you know, what I've realized was just enough, right? I think that's it big enough. Like in, in, we need to see what we're doing. Great. But, uh, not a massive flap. I think I've learned that as well from, uh, from your course, right? Like we don't want a massive flap, but you don't want as well, like a tiny digging in a hole kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. Like I, I constantly teach, um, we want our flaps to be as, as, you know, as small as possible, but as big as necessary, because it really, it all comes down to access and visibility. And if you lose either of those, well, then you're down the Creek already. And so you need to, you need to know what you're doing and see what you're doing in order to get that tooth out. Because when you can't see, that's when the complications arise. And so I don't, I don't feel it's embarrassing to, you know, make a bigger flap because you're doing that patient a favor if you need that bigger flap to see. And, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're extended measly or distally, that's, that's another thing, but I, I just, I need to emphasize that we need proper access and visibility because without that, it's just so much more difficult to take out those teeth. Absolutely. And it goes back to those principles. I think that, uh, cause like there are usually like a few principles that are in my head with doing any surgery, right? It's like, you know, as you said, access and visibility space, you know, uh, vital structures, all these things are always kind of like, you know, and at least like, you know, starting out, right. Those principles always kind of like embedded, right. Uh, the forces and whatnot. So, um, absolutely. What's your take on that? Uh, Hisham? So I, I have, I've had the opportunity to help, at least 30 new grad dentists over the last 10 years, right? And these guys are, and girls were all just new grads. And we gave them the exact same advice that uh, Neki and Zia just gave. But what I find the overwhelming majority of the time is that the flaps are still coming out too conservative. So now picture, you know, I get the call or I'm working next door with the pay, uh, with, uh, you know, with the, uh, with a new grad. Oh, and they give me, hey, Dr. Sherbin, can you come in and just, you know, take a look or help me out with this case? I've reflected a flap, I've sectioned the tooth, and then all of a sudden you go in and it's barely even a flap. And a lot of times what ends up happening is it looks like kind of like, a, you know, literally like, a, you know, like ground beef in that area, right? And it just makes it so much 
harder for you to recover the case or take the tooth out when you're working within a field like that. So, so to your point, Ziad, know your anatomy very well. Mm -hmm. I think it's good to come in with a solid strategic approach and a design to what flap that you're going to be implementing for this specific procedure. And just remember that tissue heals, right? So we, we I'll give you kind of a quick example here, uh, here Ziad and Neki. So um, one, of, one of my mentors and a good friend of mine and one of our instructors at the DT Academy, uh, Dr. Mian Quek, so his flap design is considered a little bit more on the aggressive side. Right. It's not it's not aggressive in any way, shape or form. But a lot of people, when you compare it to, for example, Neki's dis initial design, it looks a little bit more um, more extensive. So we went ahead and we tried something very unique. So we brought in a, uh, a, a patient that we were using for demonstration purposes. Um, the left side, we used Nian's um, uh, technique of basically a larger flap design. And then on the right side, it was Neki's technique, which is a little bit more of a conservative flap. Okay, now keep in mind that Dr. Quek was the one who was doing this procedure, okay, and he's used to the bigger flap design. So uh, about a week later, I ended up seeing the patient and I assessed both sites, okay, and thinking that, okay, if I go ahead and I have a bigger flap, you know, the patient would have experienced a little bit more pain and discomfort on that side, maybe even a little bit more swelling um, on that side, and that site might have not looked as good as the other side. It actually turns out that that site actually looked better and the patient felt less pain on that side than Neki's side, than the side that, uh, that uh, Dr. Quek was demonstrating Neki's technique on. And the point that I want to make here is that that flap design was one that Dr. Quek was very comfortable doing. So in his hands, the patient experienced no pain, no discomfort, and minimal swelling. Okay, so he was comfortable with that approach. The other side, there was a little bit of discomfort pain, but it healed just as well. But the point that we want to make here is that be comfortable with these kind of flap designs, be comfortable with your strategic approach, and just be mindful of where your anatomy is. And just remember and recognize that it all heals. As long as you're suturing everything appropriately at the end, the patient will heal well, and you're better off to make sure that you're able to see and you're able to instrument and do no harm to the patient during the procedure. I love it. Uh, man, shots fired here. You throwing me under the bus, man. Let's go. Hey, not at all. You, you know what's gonna happen, Nikki. Now you gotta do we gotta have you as the clinician next time. I know I know what Mian was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was doing that on purpose so he could say that, you know what, his sight heals better than yours. <laughs> yeah, I saw him. He had a partial thickness, you know, tearing the periosteum. Yeah, I know I know what happened. I was there. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, Neki, so do you mind sharing a little bit uh, about your anesthesia? Like, what are your techniques to establishing effective anesthesia for your uh, wisdom teeth? Like, there's nothing worse than a patient feeling a little bit of uh, discomfort. And I think, like, it goes against uh, the whole model we're trying to build, right? Like, having that, you know, seamless experience for the patients as much as possible. So if you don't mind sharing a few techniques or tips. Absolutely. First of all, I, I'm a huge fan of buffering my anesthetic. And that's, to me, that's been a game changer. And I buffer my anesthetic on, uh, you know, mandibular blocks. And I feel like patients get numb faster. And there's a lot less pain upon injection. And if we can, you know, get people numb and less pain upon injection, I think that's the win-win. And that's a huge part of this third molar experience that I talk about. And uh, have, have you tried that yet? Not yet, but I'm actually planning on getting into it. 
Yeah, it's it's super simple. We use uh, sodium bicarbonate, and or my assistants inject um, uh, sodium bicarbonate within the actual anesthetic carpule, and it's ready to go. We do it uh, in the morning and in, in the afternoon, and and I have really good success with it. And I really encourage you guys to give it a shot. I'm actually really excited to get started on that, um, yeah. uh, at least to uh, try it. And you said how quick the anesthesia works as well. That's a major win as well, right? You said it just a few minutes. Do you mind touching on that? Absolutely. Because uh, normally within like a, an anesthetic carpule, there's charged and uncharged particles. Uh, and I don't want to get into the whole, you know, pH and PKA yeah. of all that. But um, what I, what we're trying to do is we want to make more anesthetic uh, molecules go through the nerve membrane and provide that anesthesia that we're after. And if we can, you know, scale that uh, equation to more nerve or to more molecules going across the nerve membrane, we'll get anesthesia faster. So I find that by adding the sodium bicarbonate, raising the pH of the actual solution, uh, we get anesthesia within like two minutes, whereas normally you'll have like, you know, eight minutes for a lower block to become effective. I love it. There's just so much to discuss. So I want to touch on uh, one more thing, uh, just sectioning, right? A lot of people struggle when they're sectioning teeth, especially with wisdom teeth. You're, you have got all kind of angles, you mesoangulars, you distoangulars. So um, there's just so many things to sum up in just a, you know, a few minutes. So what would be one or two tips you have for our listeners for just cleaner, more predictable sections? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the, you know, wide variety of burrs that we're using. Um, my favorite burr is a 702 surgical length burr. And to me, that, that is the perfect burr because you don't want your burr too narrow because when you go to make that section, you'll think you're all the way through the crown, but you're really just, you know, uh, hitting the shank of the crown again, or sorry, the shank of the burr against the crown and you stall your handpiece and then you go to section your tooth, like, or split your tooth with your elevator and you just crack the crown in half and you don't, you're not even at the roots yet. Whereas if you went, you know, your burr was too wide, uh, you use your elevator and it doesn't do anything. So I find that 702 burr is the absolute perfect burr. And a lot of it comes down to just taking your time, make sure you're all the way through that crown and into that furcation. And you can see what you're doing and, and you can feel what you're doing and just, just take your time and, and know your landmarks upon which you want to hit and, and get that furcation. Furcations on deck. Furcations on deck. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, those are one, one, of, one of the many terms that, uh, that I learned with, uh, with your course, Neki. That and the handle and, of course, every Drake song that I think I've ever heard of, which was incredible. Like, That's right. <laughs> That's right. I don't think anyone else, uh, I'm a big Drake fan, and, and having, you know, third molars extracted to Drake music, I think it's pretty unique and it's, it's fun. So, Neki, one of the things that's, that's relatively new to me has been PRF. And uh, I, I really did shy away from venipuncture over the last over the last years, just because it was something that I never really learned or dove deep into in school. Um, one of uh, one of my good friends and mentors, uh, Azim Sheikh, once he's like, "Oh, you come in, I'll teach this to you in half an hour," thinking that, "Oh my God, there's no way that I can learn something in half an hour." And lo and behold, he taught ten of us in half an hour, and every ten of us, and all the ten of us are using it proficiently within our practices. So Absolutely. can you talk to us a little bit about PRF as you're the master of it? And also how do you utilize it within your surgeries? 
Man, I always say like PRF is like Frank's red hot. Like you put it on everything. Right. And it it always, I think it makes you look like a better clinician. It doesn't make up for a crappy surgery or, you know, a poor flap. It's not going to, you know, make that heal, but it's, it does allow for much faster healing. And so I'm a big fan of using PRF um, in all my surgeries, but especially uh, extractions. Um, I haven't seen a dry socket in the last eight or nine years because of the use of PRF. If we're able to deliver growth factors right to the surgical site, I, I don't think you can ask for, you know, better healing um, or a, a better outcome. And, and in my hands, it, it's worked quite well. And addressing the venipuncture aspect. I want everyone listening to this podcast to remember that, you know, you use a quite a large needle and inject it in the back of someone's jaw and blindly anesthetize the inferior alveolar nerve. And yet when you can, you know, feel your vein, you can get that vein. And it, it just, there's like you, like you said, there's just a couple techniques you need to learn. And it's actually, you know, quite easy with practice. And uh, I don't think any dentist can't do it. And I think we all should be doing it. So Naki, I know that you teach, um, I know that you teach a lot of, um, you do a lot of sessions and a lot of courses on PRF, uh, but with COVID and the limitation of hands-on experiences that you, that you offer, what advice would you give someone who's looking to learn how to, uh, how to use PRF within their practice, whether it's for um, exodontia, implant dentistry, or, or anything like that? Um, so how could they learn how to do it and, uh, what advice would you give them? Um, my advice is once you learn the venipuncture portion and there's, you know, lots of n- not just my online course, like there's, there's lots of online material out there. Um, but I think the best part is line your staff up, buy them all lunch and it's going to be a friendship day at the office. And I know I joke around about this, but once you start showing your staff, the power of PRF, they all get behind it. And now they're talking about it with the patient before you've even walked in the room. Hey, did you know Dr. Jamal can allow your body to heal for you? He can use the growth factors from your blood. I bet you didn't think a dentist could take blood, right? And you you just have this, like, you have this level of excitement in your office of the procedures that you're doing and you're seen differently and through not only the eyes of your colleagues, but the eyes of your patients who talk. And so I, I, I'm not a big fan of, I don't advertise. I don't, I don't do any of that stuff. My patients advertise for me and uh, I've been privileged enough to, you know, to be given those patients that will tell other people that uh, PRF has worked amazing for them. And so there's, there's lots of great material out there. Um, and I hope the dentistry Academy is going to be uh, showing more and more PRF out there too. Absolutely. And one of the other things too, that I didn't know, um, at the time was you don't need, or do you need any special, uh, special certificates or, or, or training hours to go ahead and draw blood? No, that's, it's well within our, our dental degrees. And for all those people that are nervous, just think of, of this, the amazing procedures that we do do that are extremely much more complicated than drawing blood out of a vein. Um, you know, the techniques and how to find your vein and you know, that the simple steps of PRF, it really becomes a no brainer for you. And I feel like P- taking PRF really launched my surgical ability to, to go into implants and go into grafting and take out third molars because I knew my patients were going to heal. And I don't even know how to do bone grafts without sticky bone. 
Like, I, I don't know how people do it. I see it. I see it all the time, but in my hands, I wouldn't touch it without sticky bone. How about, how about for you? You know, you know what? It's um, I, I, I wasn't exposed, as I mentioned to you, to PRF um, until later on in my career. So um, I had to learn how to do uh, bone grafts the, the old school way, I guess. Right. But, um, but yeah, without a doubt, having the ability to, to, to make sticky bone with, with PRF and, you know, your ability to manipulate your graft and the success that you get afterwards, it's definitely a game changer. Like, you know, without a doubt, it's one of those kind of wake up calls that you get where you just kind of hit yourself on the side of the head saying, I'm an idiot for not doing this sooner. Right. Because, you know, you see the signs, everybody's saying it, but a lot of times you're just, you're like, ah, whatever. They're just, you know, they're just talking about what they know how to do. But, you know, one of, I'd probably say one of the few regrets that I have in my career is not taking on PRF earlier on. Yeah. Absolutely. Cause like we, we both know the two tenants of any, you know, hard tissue grafting is angiogenesis and immobility. PRF and sticky bone provide you with angiogenesis and immobility. Sticky bone keeps everything in place and the growth factors being delivered right to that site. So it's Absolutely. a no brainer. And the best part about it too, Nikki, is that it makes you look like the best surgeon on the planet, right? No matter Absolutely. if you're doing an immediate implant or if you do doing a guided bone regeneration or taking out a wisdom tooth, PRF, just the way that the tissue heals afterwards like, and, and, and there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of photos that we can even show you. People don't believe the one-week post-ops. They think that there's some type of manipulation in your photographs, or they just don't believe it. Or maybe we waited a little bit longer than a week. It's incredible to see how quickly the tissue heals when you go ahead and apply PRF on those sites. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Socket grafts, barrier membranes, like it's, it all comes down to PRF. Yeah, I've done like about three PRF cases um, and I got to see how my patients healed and it's, it's, it's pretty awesome. And, and I'm looking forward to get more into PRF and uh, as I expand in my oral surgery uh, uh, journey, um, but we can literally have a whole podcast about PRF, seeing how thrilled you guys are talking about it so z we're I'm just not, getting pumped up man we're oh, we can talk I, all day i can feel it i can feel the energy <laughs> from here <laughs> but uh but i'm actually going to switch it 180 degrees okay i want to talk about all the stuff you do you know uh like the humanitarian part of your life right i know you're involved with many overseas missions you've helped deliver dental care to thousands of people over the years do you want to elaborate more on that sure like I said, my first mission was to Guatemala. The first year I graduated, I went out for an adventure and I honestly, I came home with a purpose. And I don't think until you find, you know, your life's purpose that you can see everything with so much clarity and you know what your next step is and you know, you know, where you need to get to. And for me, learning the ability to switch from self and focusing on, you know, how can I grow? instead focus on serving others and whether that's you know like our our colleagues or to people that don't have the ability to pay you back like that that for me was the biggest game changer in life and it started with a dental trip to Guatemala and then it led to you know Peru Ecuador and yada yada like I've, I've been there all but then the other thing that really sparked sparked it for me was I can you know I can extract teeth I can fix teeth but what about providing the necessities of life to those that currently go without, such as water? 
the, some, the simple things that we take for granted so, so often, like just turning on the tap, what if we didn't have the ability to do that? And so, um, you know, providing fresh water to communities that are drought stricken has, has uh, been an amazing uh, part of my life and, and I can't wait to do more. And I love having so many people in my corner to like, you know, just like Dr. Shergan is saying, like, how can I help? When, when can you take me? Like to me, that that just it, it's something else, man. So when I when I heard about Neki's journey and when I saw the videos in, in one of his lectures, it, it actually gave me the it gave me the goosebumps, right? Because you know we're in, in dentistry. Of course, we talk about dentistry, we talk about all these other items, but we don't really talk enough about not just providing you know oral health care or oral services to patients, not just in Canada, United States, or or in, in uh, underserviced areas but it's the basic necessities. And I think that's something that we miss, right? It's not, you know, we, we don't want to just go out and take out teeth. That's satisfying and rewarding in different ways. But some people are, are missing a lot more than, than, than a tooth or have a lot more than, you know, just a cavity in their mouth, right? So, so it, was, it was incredible to hear, um, you know, Dr. Jamal's journey. And it was so, so refreshing to see that that's something that, that you're doing. So, and, and I mean, you highlighted that as well, Neki, is that how can, if, if I'm hearing this podcast or if I've seen your talks, how can I be more involved with what it is that you do? Because I, I truly believe that, uh, you know, we swore to do no harm in our profession and we're healthcare providers and we're givers in, in so many different ways. But I think this hits home on, on such a basic fundamental of who we are as, as healthcare practitioners, right? So um, for those who are listening, Neki, how can we be a little bit more involved with this? Um, I, I work with the charity out of Edmonton called Change for Children and I'm kind of their, their dental leader. Um, but you know, I do all my water projects with them as well. And, and I piggyback on their water projects because they've done such amazing work, uh, throughout Central America. Uh, you can contact me, you can email me, you can find me on Instagram. I, I just, I, I want everyone to know that I'm just one person and I can't do this alone. And we all have that ability to change someone's today, someone's tomorrow and someone's forever. And so it's, it's humbling to hear, you know, that other people want to help because we all have that ability as, you know, dentists to not only fix smiles, but we've been given this unique power to do so many things throughout health. And uh, I just don't want anyone to think that they're just limited to fixing teeth. Absolutely. And, and all this has inspired like me, Hisham and many others, just seeing what you've done is is incredible and and i'm going to be putting links in the podcast description as well if somebody is interested in joining you in the next mission or just interested to learn more in general about uh what you do and so that they can join you on the next one so you go yearly right don't you yeah i go i go a couple times a year uh, with covid it's been tough. I haven't even received our, my vaccination yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. Right. Um, but that was the, for me, a huge part of third molars online was my, you know, the fact that I can still make a difference in central America or, uh, through dental projects and water projects. And so all the money, um, that is made from third molars online goes right back into, uh, our charitable projects. And, and like I tell all the people as part of the my, my team, I'm not like, I don't do this for money. I do this because we have 
that ability to help other people. And it's, that's the most important part for me. And, and I just have a ton of fun doing it. I love it, which is, if it's perfectly into my next question, you know, we're just about, you know, wrapping up this podcast and I want to talk about your online course, right? I'll make sure the link again is in the description uh, with the other stuff is called third molars online. Um, I've used it. It's awesome. I want you to tell me uh, what inspired you to make this course, right? I mean, you kind of touched on it as well, um, like all the all the funds go to charity. But uh, um, what can people expect after completing this course? I think the the coolest part of the course is that mentorship link that is missing from every other course out there. It's it's the ability to to go through videos, go through. Uh, you know, my case selection criteria, how to assess a pan, how to assess a, a CBCT, what tools to use, where to section teeth. And there's real clinical video of every single step along the way when we pause the videos and say, this is what you have to watch out for here. And it's that unique aspect that I was missing throughout all the ed- like education courses I've taken. So I, I don't think that there's another course like this out there. Um, I, I think it's, you know, the added benefit of, of having that mentorship where we do have zoom calls and we do go over radiographs and it's been awesome. And I've received nothing but great reviews. And, and, and that's incredible to hear as well that, you know, it's my course has worked and helping so many other dentists. Absolutely. And speaking of courses as well, it wasn't just this online course because this online course is awesome. I've, um, I recently got access to it and it's been phenomenal, really, every single video I've seen. So I love it. But what we also love is uh, me and Ricky, when we had that phenomenal experience at the oral surgery course uh, a few months ago, I guess I'm going to ask both of you guys, Hisham and Neki, right? Uh, if you guys want to talk a little bit about that course, right? Uh, a little bit in more detail for our listeners and what you guys are building together in the future um, uh, with the Academy. Being a part of that Dentistry Academy third molar course was the single-handed best CE I've ever been a part of. I wish I was taking that CE 12 years ago. That would have completely changed the trajectory of my career. And so before uh, Dr. Shurgan talks about it, I, I honestly, it was the best CE I've ever taken in my life, hands down. Uh, I just, I needed you to hear that, Dr. Shergan, because you built something amazing. We're so, so humbled by by that comment, Nikki. And, you know, it, it was so special in so many different ways. A big part of it is because you were there as well. Um, so we've been doing it now for the past five years, where initially we started this as a way to just help improve our own doctors within our camp where, you know, we would have or set up a surgery day where we, we would have our doctors book their extractions. And then um, we would bring in some of our more experienced surgeons to just come in and hang out. But then one of the things that we've recognized just how much and how quickly these doctors improved clinically. It was incredible. Like, you know, we are not just looking at it, obviously, from a clinical perspective, but I'm also looking at their production levels on a monthly basis. It's incredible to see how quickly that they were able to grow from a clinical standpoint and a production standpoint as well. So then afterwards, uh, myself, uh, me and Quek and Jeff Summer, we thought, you know what, this is, this is a great opportunity for us to not just offer this to our own guys 
and gals, but also to offer it to the entire dental community as well. So that's where um, the Dentistry Academy came from. And then from there, we just continued to grow it and grow it and grow it. And to give you guys an idea of how it's structured. Um, so right now it's a third molar um, only course where the first day is didactic, where we give you essentially a crash course on, you know, how to, you know, flap design and how to suture and how to take out wisdom teeth as uh, as effectively as possible. And then on day two and three, you're in the mouth, you're hands on, you're taking on four cases during those two days. And some of those cases start off as easy because we go ahead and we offer like a bespoke solution to you um, as to your experience and clinical set, uh, clinical uh, skill set. And then from there, it can be it can grow into some very advanced cases to the point where some of our more experienced surgeons were having a hard time with, right? But the, the, the best part about all this is the camaraderie that you build. You're able to build friendships. It's literally you're in the trenches and that's what it feels like. It feels like uh, the best description uh, Neki once said is like, I feel like I just, it's, it's, you left summer camp, right? And the next couple of days are almost like you're on the, you're on the, you're on the, you know, you're, you're a little bit depressed and, you know, you're, you're getting a little bit of withdrawals and you come out of there just being such a better clinician, so much more mature. And at the same time being, you know, developing friendships that hopefully are going to last you a lifetime, not just with the students that were there in the, in the course, but also with a lot of the instructors and the faculty members that were there as well. So um, that's why it's grown and it continues to do so. And the best part for me and, and for Neki as well is just seeing how much these guys grow after they're done with this program. And once, once we see that, and once they send us the pictures, that's, that's the best and most fulfilling uh, sense that, uh, that we can ever experience. Absolutely. And I think like what stood out compared to the other wisdom tooth courses that I was looking at as well is uh, just the hands-on over the shoulder kind of mentorship. And it's not one case, it's, you know, four cases. That's what uh, uh, we did in that course. So you got about four chance to like, you know, do the same thing or do a mistake and then recover from the mistake and then just learn from the best. And I mean, Neki's awesome and his teachings are pretty great, but you also kind of learn from all the different mentors in each room. So Honestly, like, yeah, me and Ricky, we walked out with just a collection of different uh, skill sets from many people. So I found it, I found it to be incredible. But um, I know, Hisham, you were telling me last week, I actually don't know much about it. Um, so I know that you guys have plans to launch another surgery program with Neki, right? Um, so I'm very curious as well. And I want to I wanna hear more about this um, um, plans that you guys are building. So you wouldn't know, Z, how excited we are for this. This is literally taking it to, not to the next level, to the next stratosphere. So what, what we do, and we do, we, we spend a lot of time afterwards with the, with the people that graduated, the dentists that graduated from our programs, and asking them, okay, well, how could we be better? How could we make things a little bit more efficient? And how could we make the learning experience better for, for the next dentist? And one of the, the toughest things that we had to do um, was to try to calibrate what everybody's skill set is before this residency program starts. Now picture, you know, we have some people that came up to us that said, you know what, I haven't held a elevator in the last six months, right? And others that come up and said that, you know what, I've, I've taken residency programs, I've taken out teeth, I do them all the time. And then all of a sudden, when you put them in front of a patient, you recognize that a lot of the things that may have been said may not have been what you expected of them, 
right? So, and that to us was the biggest, um, the biggest challenge that we had, right? How can we continue to push people, uh, push dentists when we just met them yesterday for the didactic portion? Our role here, of course, is just like any, any trainers for any type of athletic programs is that we wanna know what their strengths and weaknesses are and then put together um, a bespoke program that's specific to that individual that's gonna help that individual grow to new heights. So what we decided to do was to take it another, kick it up a couple more notches and launch an oral surgery residency program. And this residency program consists of three different modules. The first module, we're gonna start off with the basics. You know, how do you suture, different type of suturing techniques um, on live patients and of course on, 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 on dummies or suture boards as well to how to take out teeth atraumatically. So essentially the first module is just simple extractions. Okay, after this, so that's a weekend module. After a few months from there, we go ahead and, and take on the second module, which involves tougher extractions, which may uh, require um, obviously flapping and uh, extra, uh, surgically um, excising a tooth. Um, and then from there, we have to do some different type of uh, socket, uh, you know, uh, socket preservation techniques and PRF. And then the third module, a couple of months from that, is going to be on uh, extraction of, of AIDS, basically complicated ones or simple ones. And then also how do we deal with certain complications um, when it comes to um, exodontia. So, and we feel that by us going ahead and doing that, we'll be able to start with a solid foundation of as what we talked about, flap design and suturing. And then from there, we can go ahead and graduate all of our students to the level of taking on some of the most challenging extractions that they can, that they can encounter. Um, Neki, did you want to add any more? I, I just, I feel like you're under, under like selling it here because imagine having access to mentors all the time and going over cases and, you know, sharing the experiences while we're in the room with you of how to see and how to, you know, correct the oncoming complication. Um, like Z exactly what you were saying before, I think you could take out harder teeth than I could. And I I've seen it in, in the course that I, teeth that you were taking on, I was like, Oh, I don't know if he's ready for this one. And then you're showing me how to do it. And this is exactly what we want to get people to. So we want everyone to start off with the, with, you know, the basics, just exactly like Dr. Shergan saying, but we want to take it up to that advanced level that we feel confident that they can treat patients safely and, you know, if effectively and, and efficiently to take out, you know, those you know, tough third molar cases, because we don't learn this in school and we have to learn the hard way in practice. So I'm super pumped up for this because I think we'll be able to make a difference in a lot of dentist lives. Absolutely. Each module is going to consist of four patients that every student's going to be taking on. So the, the value that is something that I might've missed is to say, well, you're going to be treating 12 patients during this residency program, which, you know, if you continue to just follow the basic fundamental techniques that we teach you and just build on those, there's no reason why you won't be a proficient um, clinician and surgeon after you finish this program. I love it. And honestly, I'm a big fan of uh, like continuums and in general. So I think this will be pretty cool because um, over, you know, the time in between each kind of like module, um, 
how how many weeks or months again was it? So we're saying about two months between each module. Two, well, that two months, way, yeah. yeah, that way yeah. you can take what you learned and apply it to real practice. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and then you can take what you learned absolutely within those two months and kind of come back and learn from the other uh, uh, from the other guys. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. So um, I look forward to talking uh, to you a bit more about it, Hisham and um, and Eki. And I'm gonna leave the links again for everybody who's interested to kind of look this uh, uh, look this up. But uh, just to wrap up, guys. I want to say this has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, just talking about this with you guys, uh, Nick, your journey is absolutely inspiring. And I'm glad Dude, we got to talk for another like three hours. Uh, we, like, we can, <laughs> honestly, I, I lost track. Already? <laughs> no, honestly, like, Jam, like I wish you and Nicky all the best with all the future courses you guys are building together. I know me and Ricky had a lot of fun and we learned heaps we learned so much uh a few months ago so thank you for everything you guys are doing thank you Nikki, for your time and uh sharing all this uh this uh, these tips with everybody so i'm gonna ask you before we wrap up Nikki, just a few things right what are your top three pieces of advice for young dentists in general and what are your top three tips for anybody who wants to venture more into oral surgery oh man you're putting me on the spot with this and i like it um <laughs> Okay, so top, top three tips for new dentists. Yeah. Um, number one, surround yourself with good people. Uh, there's, I, I was telling uh, Dr. Shergan this, there's two types of people out there. There's balcony people and basement people. And if you want to grow, you got to surround yourself with the balcony people. And uh, uh, meeting Dr. Shergan, I think, is, is the capital definition of balcony person. So that was, that was huge for me, and, and I continue to grow a relationship with him. Um, number two, switch your mindset from self to service. And if you want to you know, see that clarity in your life and, and see your inner purpose and why you're a dentist, you need to start considering the service aspects of your profession, not just in dentistry, but um, everywhere else out there. And then lastly, if you want to succeed, you need to get that experience. And, and you can learn a certain amount through continuing education, but to uh, you know, have that experience of of patients and putting yourself in that, in those situation scenarios to get that experience, I think is priceless. And so that's kind of what we were wanting to do with this uh, dentistry Academy is provide that experience that is so uh, missing in continuing education these days. So that's my tips for uh, a new, new grad, new dentist, uh, my surgery tips. If you want to get into more teeth, I think they're almost the same. You need to put yourself <laughs> in that experience um, using the right tools for the right job, uh, and knowing what to use when, um, is, is another huge component. But, but lastly, it's, um, know how to manage the complications before they arise and getting educated within those complications, because I really feel I can teach a lot of people that take out teeth, but until you know how to manage the complications, that's, what's going to set you apart from the rest of your clinicians, because patient safety is our, is our utmost, um, you know, priority. And so managing complications is how you get better at surgery. I love it. Amazing words of wisdom oh, there. What? PRF. And Don't PRF. forget PRF, man. PRF, man. <laughs> we should all get into the PRF, but, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> guys, it's been again, phenomenal. As I said, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you Z for having us. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Mastering Dentistry series on the Newbie Dentist Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and follow us. All relevant links are in the podcast description. See you next time.